We're going to have our reading from the Bible now. Um, So if you could all turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. I'll give you a moment to find the page. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in, brought in the child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, So let's pray for a moment, shall we? Dear Lord, um, we thank you for this passage. We pray that as we look at it now, that you would... Um, enable us, help us to learn what it is you have for us to learn uh, this day as we move into the new year. Amen. Um, <clears throat> the other day I was watching uh, Royal Carols um, on the television. Uh, it was, uh, it's a service from Westminster Abbey, maybe some of you are watching it as well, hosted by the Princess of Wales. And I found it encouraging because this was prime time TV and uh, there were readings from the Bible and uh, nativity scenes and prayers and uh, carols, of course. But I did also notice that uh, at the beginning of the uh, service, uh, someone twice asserted that it was all about the birth of a baby. And, uh, well, maybe I'm a bit pernickety, but... and maybe they were just looking for an angle that wouldn't offend anybody. Uh, you can't go wrong by saying babies are nice. Um, but I thought Christmas was more about to do with who the baby was rather than the baby of uh, the birth of any baby. And what I find is that Luke agrees with me. And perhaps we should just, for a moment, remind ourselves what Luke is about as he writes this. In Colossians 4.14, we find Paul says... Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, um, he was a doctor and he became a friend of uh, Paul and travelled with him on uh, a load of his uh, mission journeys and was with him even to the last 
and Paul was executed. But there are some things that Luke wasn't. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he wasn't an eyewitness to the facts that he writes about. So what he's done is carefully researched and put together an account here of the things that have happened. That's a phrase he uses. From people who were eyewitnesses. And set them down here uh, in an orderly account for us to have. But if you look at chapter 2 here as a whole, which you can do if you've got one of these, um, just saying. And uh, <coughs> as you look at it, what you find is that uh, the birth of Jesus takes up quite a small part of the chapter. Uh, Luke records a lot more about what was said about Jesus at that time. He chooses three accounts, uh, you will see there. The, the angels uh, appearing to the shepherds, which we looked at on Christmas Day. Simeon meeting the parents and the baby Jesus in the temple, which we're going to look at today. And then how the boy Jesus goes missing, and then they found him with the teachers in the temple. Now, as you read these accounts, then there is a lot of evidence that seems to point to, the, to Luke having spoken to Mary got the information from her, interviewed her, you might say. Uh, And these are the three things that he particularly wants to tell us uh, before he goes into John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. And when you think about it, these are the three instances that would stand out for the mother Mary, from Mary the mother of Jesus. Things she would as verse 20 says, treasure up and ponder in her heart. So then let's look at uh, Luke's account of Simeon's reaction to meeting the baby Jesus. So Mary and Joseph, they've gone into the temple because they have been careful to follow what all that is required of them according to the law of Moses. The last of which was to present your firstborn son to the Lord and offer a sacrifice. And while they're in the temple, they bump into Simeon. And then a little while later, Anna, the prophetess. So what does Luke say about Simeon? Well, not a lot, really. Um, He's more interested in what Simeon has to say. Now, it's always seemed to me, particularly maybe when I look at the Christmas story, that God is consistent and very determined in his plan to involve people who are seemingly of no importance as the world looks at it. Often people consider to be slightly dodgy at times, like the shepherds wouldn't have been respected at all. Even Mary's marriage to Joseph would have been frowned upon. And that continues throughout the New Testament. Jesus is criticized for it, in fact, for associating with tax collectors and sinners. Well, Simeon is not perhaps dodgy. Uh, Luke says that he is a man who was righteous and devout. He would approve of Mary and Joseph adhering to the law as he was devout. But he'd also be a person who generally cared about people. He was righteous, which is more than just somebody who keeps the law. But as you look through it, as writers have noticed, you can't find any reason to believe that Simeon was of any any particular importance, humanly speaking. It doesn't mention he's a priest or holds any office in in the temple. But God all the same chooses to deliver this amazing prophecy 
over the child through Simeon. So we're going to look at three um, headings. Here they are. Uh, Simeon links the Old Testament to the New Testament. Then Simeon announces the arrival of the Messiah. And then there's a warning that salvation comes at a cost and with a challenge. So we're going to look at the first of those. And let me read there, 25 to 27. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. (coughs) And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. So notice in these verses that the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times. It says at the end of 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon him and it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Christ. And then he's moved by the Spirit to actually go in at that particular time to the temple. So it's worth noting just how much the Holy Spirit has revealed to this ordinary man. First of all, he is waiting for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. Now that doesn't mean the sort of consolation like there, there, everything's going to be okay. Bob Marley, every little thing is going to be all right. doesn't mean that. What it means is waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. That was the consolation for Israel. Now, of course, the Jews understood that to be uh, particularly the Savior of Israel. But Simeon was about to clarify that it was more than that. So the Holy Spirit um, leads him to go into the temple, into this very large and crowded building. Looked on the internet, said it was during Jesus' time, 35 acres the building took up. Seems amazing. But he leads him to go in there on exactly the right day, at exactly the right time, to actually meet Mary and Joseph, which is something of a miracle of its own. But he has been promised by God that he would not die before he sees the Lord's Christ. Now, of course, that may lead you to think that he was probably an old man, and perhaps he was. But it doesn't actually say so. It does say that Anna was quite old, but it doesn't say he is. It's more like he's been appointed a watchman to look for the coming of the Messiah. And once he has seen the Messiah, once he has declared that he's arrived... He can stand down from his duties. But it is, of course, a mark of his faith in what he terms your salvation, speaking to God, that he can now die in peace, trusting in what the Lord's Christ would accomplish, though he might never see it. Now, how exactly the Holy Spirit would reveal to him that he personally would see the Messiah, we're not told. Sometimes uh, you just know things are right, don't you? Though you would be harsh-pressed to prove why you think it. The Christian gospel is, of course, a faith based on evidence and reason. But we cannot limit God to only do things which we have the capacity to understand. 
But what is clear here is that Simeon has been studying the Old Testament scriptures, in particular the book of Isaiah. That is clear because when he says Jesus will be a light to the Gentiles, verse 32, he's quoting Isaiah 42 and 49. When he says that Jesus will be spoken against and that Mary will have her soul pierced, meaning by grief, then he is seeing the Messiah as the suffering servant which Isaiah speaks of. In fact, his understanding of what the Messiah will be is in stark contrast to the reaction of most people in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has revealed these things to him as he studies the scriptures. It seems reveals to him also his personal part in it. So Simeon, though steeped in Old Testament scriptures, announces what those scriptures have said about Jesus as he holds him in his arms. Draws from the Old Testament scripture to reveal to those around him what will become the New Testament scriptures. There are many lessons here to learn from Simeon, um, for us to learn Studying uh, the Bible, that he obviously studied scriptures, seeking God's guidance from them, waiting upon the Lord, trusting that he has a plan and a purpose for us. So secondly, we can look at Simeon as he announces the arrival of the Messiah. And this is from verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praising God said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. What a beautiful declaration this is. Now often used and has been from down through the years in the Church of England as something that that we sing he has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to see that this six week old baby who now he holds is yet to speak anything or do anything is God's salvation a saviour who has come in the sight he says of all people for all people and he clarifies what all people means the angels when they met the um Shepherds, they said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. But Simeon spells out by quoting from Isaiah, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is a salvation, a saviour for all people, for Jews and for Gentiles. Gentiles means anybody who's not a Jew, basically. So that's everyone. A revelation for those who do not yet know who the Lord is. No wonder then, in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, of course, an angel had appeared to both Mary and Joseph at different times, and the shepherds had reported to them what they had been told by angels. But here is a fellow man, standing in the temple that they know, quoting to them and applying to them, to their child, what scripture says. 
But more than that, Simeon expands what they had already heard, casts a new and bright light on what they have seen, one writer put it. And they marveled at what Simeon already knew about their child. But if you had stood there in the temple at the time that he spoke these words, chosen that God has chosen this ordinary man, though devout and righteous man, to announce this, you may think, who is ever going to hear what he has said? But now, 2,000 years later, we are reading what he said. And people all over the world are reading what he said. And in every nation, they're hearing it. Even people uh, in churches are now singing what he had sort of sung. They call it a song. What a great work God has done through Simeon in this announcement. But coming to my third and final point, there is a warning that salvation comes at a cost and with a challenge. Christmas is often depicted as a rather sentimental celebration, a very temporary uh, situation where people turn to love, joy and peace. I wish it could be Christmas every day, wizard sing every Christmas umpteen times. Thank God it's Christmas, queen um, sing, for just one day. There is a longing, do you notice, at Christmas, that what we grasp momentarily should always be so. But as the world celebrates Christmas, it seldom acknowledges that this sign as Simeon calls it, a sign of God's love, this offer of forgiveness, has been and continues to be spoken against, rejected and denied. Even in the very way that the world celebrates it, it so often conspires to deny the very message that brings love, joy and peace. So let's read again what Simeon says to Mary from verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to bear a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So as Mary and Joseph are marvelling at what he said, he tells them that this salvation will come at a cost, shares some hard truths with them, things which had not yet been spoken to them, Mary and Joseph. Now we do not need to be told, do we, that this sign, this salvation will be spoken against. We see that in so many places, countries where Christians are persecuted, where every effort made to silence the message that they bring. And increasingly we see the message being spoken against in our own country. Hence my being pleased, I guess, that the royal carols should actually quote scripture. We see it opposed, rejected and refuted. And if, like me, that grieves you, this attempt to silence the Christian message then this passage brings encouragement. Let me explain. First of all, Simeon declares that it will be so, that it will be spoken against. 
even while he looks upon Jesus as a little baby, he shows us that God already knows that will happen. He is not taken by surprise. And then let me point something else out. It turns out that the very extreme methods that the leaders uh, at Jesus' time used to speak against and silence him, to put him to death, was the very means by which God achieved our salvation. That's a thought. So what these verses encourage us to do is to stand back and look at the situation from God's perspective. Salvation has come and it will accomplish what God has ordained. As C.S. Lewis put in one of his poems, this is the turning point of history. The Saviour has come. Simeon held that Saviour in his arms and declared, my eyes have seen your salvation. Nothing will ever be the same again. It is no sentimental or temporary thing. Christmas only looks like that if you don't deny and ignore the reason you're celebrating it. So what happens then is that Jesus becomes, as Isaiah said he would, chapter 8 of Isaiah, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Quoted also in Peter's first letter. If I can put it this way, you do not push the gospel aside. You fall over it. You stumble over it. The gospel is an offense, an insult to human pride. It declares that we are hopelessly sinful and cannot save ourselves. We cannot work out our own salvation. If Jesus had not come and given his life in such a humiliating and humble way, then we would be lost. Now it might seem that to proudly refuse to accept Jesus and the message is a strong thing to do. But Simeon says it is to stumble and fall. Fall over this stone, this Jesus, this salvation. It finds you out. Verse 35. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We like to imagine that we examine the gospel message and we decide uh, whether to judge it, whether it's right or not, we judge it, uh, whether to accept or believe it. But the truth is our response to this message turns out to be our judgment. It examines us. Whereas then to humbly uh, humble ourselves before him and accept his grace offered through Jesus is to rise John 1, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now Simeon finished with a sobering, a very personal comment to Mary, that a sword will pierce your own soul too. It is of course a hint, at an indication to how salvation will be accomplished Mary would one day watch her boy die on the cross. But she would also gloriously witness his resurrection. Salvation then comes through suffering, through his suffering. So I conclude. 
As we go into the new year, it's good to remind ourselves of some things. The gift of salvation comes through one man, but extends to the whole human race. And there is no one to whom the gospel message is not directed. But even then, it is offered to each person in particular. And while this salvation is offered to all, it's not automatically or necessarily received or accepted by all. Now that may seem obvious to you perhaps, but Simeon prophesied that as Jesus was a child, a baby, quoting Isaiah's prophecy of 700 years before that. The gospel of salvation is a wonderful, uh, it's more wonderful than you can imagine, but it's also a personal challenge to us. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed by this message. People will declare or reveal themselves by their attitude to Jesus. Ultimately, you can't be neutral. And Jesus requires each person to ask themselves whether they have yet accepted him or are they still rejecting him. Let us pray for a moment. We thank you, Lord, that we have this wonderful passage, this testimony to who Jesus is. As we step into this new year, may our hearts be open to humbly receive him and to know the joy of his salvation. Amen.